Welcome back. Uh, please keep your Bibles open in Matthew chapter 13. That's the portion that we read earlier, and uh, we we're going to look at this section of God's Word together this morning. Something which, which captures the imagination of all people from all backgrounds and all walks of life and all ages and every race and community are stories. Stories. Sometimes these are stories read in books, sometimes watched on, on television or the movies. Sometimes they are just stories that are, are passed down from one generation to the next as children sit at the feet of their, their grandparents who, who keep the children engrossed in a story of yesteryear. Sometimes stories are fictional, but often the, the very best stories are the ones that are based on true accounts of, of bravery and, and courage and mystery and suspense. I don't think it would be too much of a generalization to say that most people, if not all people, we all enjoy a good story, don't we? And yet sometimes I think we forget that the greatest storyteller of all time is none other than God himself. I have a, a book on my shelf called He Gave Us Stories, and it's a book about understanding and interpreting the Old Testament narratives, the many varied stories which, which God gave to us in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. The Bible is, is full of stories. It's a, it's a collection of stories, and yet they are stories unlike any other. Because the author of these stories is God himself. He is the one who not only sovereignly ordained all the historical events recorded for us in the Bible, but also ordered the lives of every individual who makes up these stories. He is the one who decided which of these stories should be written down in the pages of Scripture for, for us to read. And here's the key thing. So that through these stories, you and I might come to know God. That we might understand who He is. That we might recognize too that, that we have a personal story which God is busy writing. A personal story which forms part of a collective, much bigger story which began before the foundations of the world, a story of all history which pivots around and centers on the life and the death of the very Son of God upon the cross. A story which will continue to be written until this world is eventually consumed by fire. A story which culminates in the new heavens and the new earth when God's Son will return again to us one final time to judge both the living and the dead. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer tells us that God, in his sovereign purposes, decided to reveal himself to us over many years, at many times, and in many ways through Stories, as he spoke to us through the prophets, as he revealed his character and ways to his people through the unfolding story of history. But then he goes on to say that in these last days, in this final phase of God's revelation to man, the culmination of God's revelation has come to us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, 
who is the radiance of God's glory, who is one with the Father, one with the Spirit, and who created all things and who sustains all things by the word of his power. So then, it should not surprise us that as we zoom in to look at this person, Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, God in the flesh, it shouldn't surprise us to find that Jesus spent a large majority of his public ministry speaking to the people 2,000 years ago and continuing to speak to us today through stories. Jesus was without doubt the greatest preacher of all time, able to draw and, and hold the attention of, of thousands of people for an extended period without music, with, without a performance, without drama, without multimedia presentations. And much of this teaching time and preaching time of Jesus was done by means of stories. The important thing for us to understand, however, is this, that the storytelling of Jesus was consistent, not with the modern trends of the day, not with the kind of storytelling of the rabbis or of grandparents to their children, nor with the, the theatrical performance-based storytelling of the Greeks and the Romans for, for entertainment purposes. No, the storytelling of Jesus was consistent with the storytelling of God himself. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the storytelling of Jesus was not spoken simply to entertain, but rather the stories Jesus told contained truth, truth about God, truth about man, and most importantly, truth about the kingdom of God and the king himself, a king who had come, the king who was the one telling the stories to the people about himself and about his kingdom and how we are able to enter into it. So with that in mind, we, we start a new series this morning to consider together the very special teaching of Jesus Christ through the parables. There are about 35 distinct parables which are recorded for us in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke. Some of those parables are in all three Gospels and some are unique to one or two of the Gospels. But it is these parables, these stories which Jesus told, which I want us to consider over the next number of months. Now there are both blessings and dangers associated with studying the parables. I think the first blessing of the parables is that they are stories. Stories which are easy to follow, easy to remember, and often very easy for us to identify with. And so that then leads on to the second blessing of parables, which is that these stories are packed with wonderful truth about God and his kingdom, which all of us need to learn. But the danger, however, comes with the fact of our familiarity as Christians with these stories, perhaps from our childhood, from our parents telling us these stories, from Sunday school as we grew up in the context of the church. And that familiarity may prevent us from taking the truth conveyed in these stories seriously. We might feel that we know the story so well that 
that we don't really engage our minds and engage our hearts as we ought to in, in order to grasp the truth which God is trying to teach us through these stories. There's also the danger of misunderstanding the real meaning of the parable. And so we, we may draw the wrong conclusions and we may reach the wrong application from the parable because we have misunderstood the point of the parable. And so there may well be some undoing uh, necessary over the next couple of months uh, as we consider parables which we thought we knew well uh, and yet may realize that we did not really understand. So we need to be careful as we take this journey uh, to come each week with, with much expectancy to be blessed by God through the study of these parables, but at the same time to come with a, a fresh humility and dependence upon God to reveal to us the truth about himself and the truth about us and the truth about the way of salvation which he intends to convey in these parables. So this morning, we are not going to look at any one parable in particular, but we're going to lay a foundation for this series, for the future studies, by seeking to answer three simple questions. Number one, what is a parable? Number two, why did Jesus teach in parables? And number three, what does that mean for us today as we consider these parables at the beginning of 2021? So in the first place, then, I want us to consider what is a parable. And I think the most well-known definition for a parable is simply it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And, and I think that is a helpful definition and it at least it points us in the right direction. But I think we need to dig a little bit deeper into what a parable is and, and what a parable is not. And so let's start with what a parable is not. Firstly, a parable is not a fable. Now, a fable is usually a, a short story which involves mythical creatures, walking and talking animals and plants, and, and it's usually meant to convey a kind of a moral at the end of the story. And so you'll often find a fable ending with, and the moral of the story is, don't count your chickens before they hatch, or something like that. The, the problem with fables is that they are fictitious, Foxes and ants and grasshoppers and turtles, they don't really speak. And although the moral or the lesson is often a good one and it may be helpful and it's well illustrated by the fable, we, we can kind of simply just write it all off as being a fairy tale because it's, it's disconnected from reality. Secondly then, a parable is not an allegory. Now here we need to take special care because many people in the past have come up with totally weird and, and wonderful and sometimes even wacky ideas by trying to interpret the parables of Jesus as an allegory. Now what is an allegory? Well, an, a good example of an allegory would be the story of Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Uh, if you do not know or have never read Pilgrim's Progress, you are missing out on a huge chunk of your Christian upbringing and understanding. And I would really encourage you to get a copy of Pilgrim's Progress and to read it for yourself. But Pilgrim's Progress is a story which is told with a specific purpose of linking all the details of the characters and the places and the events in the story with representations of truth which is sought to be conveyed. That's the purpose of for which John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. So 
If you know anything about the book, Christian is the main character and he represents you and me on our journey through life. The, the city of destruction where he lives uh, is this earth as we know it, which is going to be destroyed by fire. The celestial city where he is headed uh, is a representation of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. The wicked prince in the story is the devil. And then, for example, the marsh of despond uh, is is a place that represents the time of depression and despondency and doubt that we go through when, when times are tough. Vanity Fair represents all the temptations of this world which are there to distract the pilgrim on his journey to heaven, and so we could go on. Now, it's a little bit tricky here because there are sometimes an element of allegory in Jesus' parables, but that is not the main approach to Jesus' parables. The big difference is that parables of Jesus are not meant to be pressed in every detail to find a connection with, with every character or every detail in the story to, to try and connect it with some form of truth or reality. Rather, a parable is intended to convey one major truth and many of the details are just there to be able to support that key truth. They're not meant to be focused on uh, as individual details. So what then is a parable? Well, the word parable literally means to lay alongside. In other words, a parable is an earthly story, an easily understood story from everyday life and everyday things, which is laid alongside a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality, which the story helps to reveal and explain. And this is very important for us to understand at the beginning of our series. You see, spiritual truth exists. It's there. It's been created by God. And this spiritual truth governs both the physical and the spiritual world in which we live. The problem is that you and I cannot see spiritual truth. It's, it's hidden from our eyes. It's, it's hidden from our understanding. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, The person without the Spirit does not receive or understand what comes from the Spirit of God because it is foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually or it's spiritually discerned. So the purpose then of parables is to take this spiritual truth which exists, the spiritual principles which God has, has determined and to reveal these spiritual realities to us by laying alongside that truth a physical earthly picture or story which brings this hidden reality and hidden truth into the realm of our sight and, and hearing and understanding and perception. So let me illustrate this with the first parable that Jesus told, the one that we read, the parable of the sower. The, the spiritual truth which exists is this, that every time the Word of God is preached or read, as I'm doing today, different people will respond differently to that Word. In some cases, the Word is immediately stolen by the evil one before it even reaches the person's heart. In other cases, various factors rob the Word of God from having its true and full effect. 
And in other cases, the word of God is accepted and believed and it achieves a great result for God's kingdom. That's the spiritual reality. That is there. It's true. But if no one had told us that before, we wouldn't be aware that every time someone reads the Bible, every time someone teaches the scriptures or preaches, that there is all this stuff going on in the spiritual realm. Snatching and, and choking and, and growing and bearing fruit. How, how would we know that? So Jesus tells us a parable. He draws a story from everyday life, something most people could understand well. He tells a story which is easy to grasp, easy to remember about a man who goes into his field to sow seed. And some of the seed lands on hard paving, on the tarmac, and it's stolen by the birds. Other seed lands on rocky soil, and the, the fledgling plant shoots up because uh, the, the soil is shallow, but it has no root, and so it is burned up by the sun. Some grows in good soil, but alongside weeds and thorns, and eventually they choke the plant to death. And then some seed lands in good, fertile, well-prepared ground, and that seed grows into a healthy plant which bears much fruit. How did you see what Jesus is doing here? He's taking a whole bunch of spiritual truth, spiritual reality, and he lays it alongside an earthly story. A story which helps us to grasp and understand in a, a new and a fresh way something which was previously hidden from our understanding. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' approach to teach in parables is a way in which he takes what is hidden, what is spiritually discerned, and he makes it accessible even to children, to all who choose to accept and believe what he is teaching by faith. So that then is a parable, and an easy-to-understand story based in everyday life, which is laid alongside a spiritual reality which was previously hidden, which the story helps now to reveal to us. So the next big question then is this. Why did Jesus teach in parables? What was his purpose for using this means to convey spiritual truth? Now, we've already seen something of the answer in, in our previous question, that a parable is a helpful way to illustrate very deep and profound spiritual truths by means of an easy-to-follow, easy-to-understand, and easy-to-remember earthly story. But the problem here is that clearly the parables of Jesus, as he spoke them to the crowds, did not have the effect that I've just spoken about. Because even the disciples did not understand the parables at first. And for those who are blinded spiritually, this earthly story of these parables becomes quite silly, quite irrelevant, because they cannot see the, the spiritual reality, the spiritual truth, which this parable is meant to reveal and explain. Surely, if Jesus was preaching the most important truths about God and, and salvation and his kingdom, surely he should have just taught us those truths very simply and clearly. 
like a good school teacher explains maths or biology. So why did Jesus use parables? Now the passage we read together uh, from Matthew 13 gives us Jesus' reason for preaching in parables, which may not quite be what we expected. The reason he taught in parables is this, in order to divide. Have a look at verse 10. Then the disciples came up and asked him, why are you speaking to them in parables? And he answered, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. So suddenly, the purpose for parables is not primarily as a teaching aid, but as a means to distinguish those who are spiritual from those who are not. It's a, a means to divide. Jesus makes it clear in verse 11 that the secrets or, or the mysteries or these spiritually hidden truths about the kingdom of God, about God and, and, and the way of salvation, these truths have been hidden from our earthly eyes. These mysteries will be revealed through parables to his disciples on the one hand, but not to the crowds in general on the other. Now what is the basis then for this division here? Who are those who will understand and, and receive the secrets of the kingdom of heaven? And who are those who will not be given anything? Well, clearly, that division is based on an act of God's sovereign choosing. There's, there's no easy way around what Jesus says here. When asked why he was speaking in parables, Jesus says to his disciples, To you it's been given but to them it has not been given. Now he's not speaking here about desire or, or effort or mental ability or religious background. I mean, there were, there were large crowds who had come to, to hear Jesus speak. Rather, we find that what is going on here is God's sovereign choice, whom he decides to reveal truth to and who he decides not to. Now, if you think that I'm reading too much into verse 11, let's read on some more. Verse 12. For whoever has, Jesus says, more will be given to him, and he will have an abundance, more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, who's doing the giving here, and who's doing the taking back? Well, again, we see that it is God, verse 13. That is why I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. Now, these are, are very strong words here from Jesus, and he's not trying to soften the impact of what he's saying. On the contrary, he carries on in verse 14 to back up his use of parables to divide by affirming that what he is doing is the very fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Look at verse 14. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, You will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, they've shut their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and would repent, would turn back, and I would heal them. 
Now, if you take time to go and look at that passage in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, where Jesus quotes from here, you will see that this passage is all about the judicial hardening of God's people because they had rejected his truth and refused to believe him and to obey his commands. Now the scary thing here is that Jesus is saying that God's pronouncement of judicial hardening over his people Israel in Isaiah's day was not a once-off prophecy which was fulfilled in their final destruction as the people were taken off into captivity in Assyria and Babylon. But it was a prophecy which is being fulfilled in Jesus' day. And I'll show you in a minute that this is a prophecy which continues to be fulfilled in us and in our day. This message of judicial hardening of the hearts of those who continue to reject God and His truth. This is, is not popular today. I know that. It's not easy. It doesn't sit well with you and me this morning. But it is a truth which God Himself has declared in Scripture. If you have been given the truth of God's Word, if you've been given ample opportunity, some of you, for many, many years to, to come to terms with the truth, and yet you reject it, you ignore it, you don't believe and don't desire what it reveals to you about the way of salvation, then God says through Isaiah back then and through Jesus right here to us today, if that is what you want, if that is your attitude to, to God and his word, then he will give you what you want. He will harden your heart. He will dull your ears. He will blind your eyes. He will darken your understanding. And he will do this as the righteous judge in accordance with the choice that you have made to reject his truth. So we cannot come to God and say things like, well, that's not fair. Who then can be saved if God is responsible for hardening my heart? If God has chosen to, to not reveal himself to me in parables? I want you to see that God's judgment in judicial hardness, in judicial blindness, it's not arbitrary. Or random. No, not at all. It's handed down to those who willingly choose to reject the knowledge of God, who've rejected his only son, Jesus, who came to purchase eternal life, who are rejecting the moving and the stirring of the Holy Spirit in your heart by convicting you of your sin. If you don't want God, if you think that you don't need his salvation, if you don't desire his son, he will give you exactly what you want and you will only have yourself to blame. Now because this is such hard teaching, let me give you two more references in scripture which confirm that Jesus is speaking today to, to you and me through these words. John chapter 12, Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. 
The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe because Isaiah also said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory and spoke about him. Well, you might say that that was then. That was in Jesus' time. They had him in the flesh. They saw all the miracles that he performed. So yes, they deserve that condemnation. They deserve what came their way because they rejected Jesus in the flesh. They had all the evidence they needed. But we are not like them. Surely these words of Isaiah and Jesus don't apply to us today in Johannesburg in 2021. Well, listen then to what Paul says to us as he speaks about the end days before Jesus Christ returns, the very days that you and I are living in right now. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth, and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that they will all be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. So do you see what God's word is saying this morning? While the truth is before us, God has given each of us the opportunity to believe the truth. But if we refuse to love the truth, if we choose to reject it, the reason for that is because the verse says we prefer our sin. We are people who delight in unrighteousness. And so God then will hand us over in this judicial hardening to a strong delusion to believe what is false. He will blind our ears and our eyes. He will deafen our ears, blind our eyes, so that we will not be able to respond to the truth of the gospel, the light of his salvation, which is right before us. So coming back then to Matthew 13, and the reason for Jesus preaching in parables, God's word is saying to us this morning that over the next few months, the preaching of the word of God as it goes out from this pulpit, if done faithfully, will divide this congregation. There's going to be a kind of spiritual church split taking place at Honey Ridge as those who love God and His truth will grow in the knowledge of God. They will grow and grow and receive more and more from God's bountiful hand. But those among us who have chosen to reject God's truth, even though you, you may come here every week, Young people, even though you may be forced by your parents to sit in the lounge and watch the service each week while we're online, even though you may, some of you, pretend to be saved, 
you will begin to be hardened. Your blindness to the things of God will increase. Your spiritual hearing will be dulled and your heart will become increasingly cold like a block of granite. The word of God in general, but especially the parables of Jesus, are designed by God to give you what you desire. If you desire truth, if you desire to grow in your faith, if you desire to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and obedience to Him, if you desire to grow in Christ-likeness and holiness, Jesus says in verse 16 that you will be blessed. It doesn't matter if you're a brand new Christian who knows very little of the Bible or a mature Christian of 50 years of conversion. In your seeing a little now, you will see more and more. In your hearing a little now, you will hear more and more. In your understanding a little now, you will understand more and more. And look at verse 17. It's, it's quite amazing. The blessings that you will receive in the weeks and the months ahead will be the things which the prophets and many righteous saints of the Old Testament longed to look into but could not see and understand because Jesus Christ had not yet come. But we who desire to see Jesus, to know his truth more and more clearly, we will receive, as verse 12 says, a blessing in abundance, more than we need. But, and here's the other side of the coin, if you desire to continue in your sin, if you desire to, to have a, a the little bit of conscience which remains removed so that you can just enjoy your, uh, your, your sinning without any guilty conscience. If you desire to be set free from any kind of religious duty and any feeling of guilt before God, well, then God's word says that as we study these parables in the weeks ahead, God will give you what you want. The little bit of light that you have received will be taken away. Your restless conscience will be given the temporary peace that it desires. Your feeling of guilt over your sin will go away. And all of this will be a sign of God's judgment upon you. God will give you exactly what you want for the few short years you have left on this earth until you face one day the full wrath of God's eternal rejection and judgment on you for all eternity. So as long as I do my job faithfully each week and, and I will covet your prayers to, to pray for me in this regard that I would be a faithful expositor of God's word each week, then I can take comfort to know that God will be at work at Honeyridge. Some of you in the course of this year are going to grow tremendously and that'll all be God's doing. No credit to me whatsoever because Jesus has promised to give and to give and to give even more to those who love his truth. But some of you will become cold. You'll become hard. You may even seek to attack me personally in the process. And, and that's okay. That's not due to my credit whatsoever. 
But that will be the promised effect which God's word will accomplish through the parables of Jesus to those who have rejected the truth. So as I close in this morning, where does this leave you and I today in Johannesburg, 10th of January, 2021? Do you realize that coming to church over the next few months is going to be exhilarating? And I hope we can come to church, that we can regather. But even if we do so in this online mode for a season, it's going to be exhilarating because Jesus has promised that through the study of his parables, he will be at work. Amen for that. The decision you have to make today is how God's word will affect you. If you love his truth just a little bit today, if you believe in Jesus already but your faith is weak, if you desire to, to grow and, and to see and to hear and understand, then I hope you will not let anything rob you of the wonderful blessing and opportunity to meet together as God's people each week as we study the word of God and allow Jesus Christ to feed us from his word to teach us, to grow our faith, to give us spiritual eyes which will behold more and more of the glories of God. But if you are attending Honey Ridge because it makes you feel good, because you like the fellowship, you like the music, or you've got your eye on that guy or girl, but you're not really concerned for Jesus Christ and his glory, you don't really want to make Jesus uh, or you really don't want Jesus to make any radical claims over your life. You actually want to be left alone spiritually so that you can carry on sinning without accountability, without too many people asking questions, without feeling too bad about it. Well, then you're going to find that God will give you what you want. Your heart will become increasingly cold until you walk away from the light altogether and are overcome by the darkness. God's word powerfully asserts that Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, will be at work among us each week, either graciously blessing us or judicially hardening us. There's, there's no option to, to come each week and to remain unaffected. The truth of Jesus Christ does not tolerate sitting on the fence. So are you going to love the truth or love your unrighteousness? Are you going to love Christ or love yourself? Are you going to grow or are you going to die? The choice is yours today. But I want to end with, with a final word to those who, who may be wondering if it is too late. As I've been speaking today, you recognize that you've been sitting in church for many years and if anything has happened, it has only served to make you harder and colder and blinder to the spiritual things of God. In actual fact, each time the Bible is read or a sermon is preached, you've become more detached and more unaffected. Perhaps... Today is the first time that you've heard that the state that you are in is actually God being faithful to what he has promised in his word. That he's judicially hardening your heart because that's actually what you wanted in the first place. And he will continue to harden you in your sin and in your rejection of him until he takes 
your final breath from you, and then he will give you for all eternity what you thought you wanted, which is independence from God, separation from God. But you did not realize that this was a separation which comes with eternal, never-ending suffering and punishment under God's holy wrath. Just like the emergency room doctors sometimes need to, to shock a patient whose heart has stopped so that they gasp and, and start breathing again. I pray that the words of Jesus this morning will shock you out of your blindness and your spiritual complacency, that the Holy Spirit will, will breathe new life into your heart of stone. The fact that you are watching this service today, that you're listening to this message, no matter how far you may be in this process of, of spiritual hardness and blindness, I want you to know that there is still hope for you today because the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is still being presented to you today. You are not yet, by God's grace, in total darkness. So please, I, I want to beg of you this morning, for your own soul's sake, to hear the cries of Jesus from John chapter 12. The light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. May God be pleased to accomplish all that he has purposed through the preaching of his word today and as we go into the rest of this year. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we want to first and foremost recognize your incredible grace to us in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are a God who has not kept yourself hidden, kept yourself spiritually removed, but you are a God who has revealed yourself to us through the pages of Scripture, through the stories recorded for us in the Bible. But fully and most completely you have revealed yourself to us in the person of your son the Lord Jesus Christ and as we come to study these parables over the weeks ahead we want to plead with you Holy Spirit that you would cause new life to be breathed into those dull and dead hearts amongst us here at Honeyridge that you would cause us to grow in the conviction of our sin and our need for repentance, that those who do not yet know you would, would come running to Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, for those of us who love you as Lord and Savior, who have a hunger to grow closer to you, who have a desire to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would be pleased to do what you have promised, to give more and more of yourself to us as you reveal yourself to us through the pages of Scripture, through the studying of these parables, that we will grow and grow and grow, and that the seed that you plant and water and cause to grow will bear much fruit, much fruit for the kingdom of God and for your glory. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.